Welcome back to Riot Underground. You found the place where instigators are changing the world with disruptive technology. I'm Sarah Glova, and in this episode, we're back with Scott Turnbull, Director of Technology at US Ignite, and with Tom Snyder, Executive Director of Riot. We're going to talk more about municipalities, what they are doing to help their citizens be more connected, to support the growing wave of connected devices, and to enable more powerful citizen services. And as you'll hear, it requires more of what Scott said in our last episode, endurance for conversations. Let's jump in with a question for Tom. A lot of this tech, people, one, ask, well, how do we pay for it? And then two, once we've paid for it and we're starting to see a return on investment, I think you've seen some organizational leaders who have a really strong perspective on where to put that money, and you've seen them see great returns on that. Can you tell that story? Yeah, so I'll start maybe by talking generally about what do we see in terms of adoption of new technology anywhere. And and so these technologies that are driving the Internet of Things economy and the data economy, most organizations, whether it's a municipal organization or an, an industry player or, or what have you, uh, initially think about how do you do things more efficiently? And almost always you can apply technologies to automate things to, to, to save money on the bottom line, if you will. That's not long-term sustainable. That's a great start, but eventually you need to create new top-line revenue or new services or do new things. And so, um, you know, City of Wilson, we've worked with, I know you, Scott, have worked with them uh, through US Ignite, is a great example of a municipality that went in, uh, deployed their own fiber, uh, which for a time was uh, was legal here in North Carolina. Now municipalities can't can't do that. Unfortunately, we need to yeah. uh, correct that problem. But yeah. uh, but but they de- deployed fiber, and they were able to save tremendous amount of money in their metering services because they also operate their their own water and gas and so on. And and by taking that money, as you just described, and thinking of it as seed capital, mm-hmm. then they could invest into new products and services, and they're building out a new innovation hub downtown. It's, it's really kind of revitalized the town. It's creating uh, now an influx of folks that want to come and deploy smart city solutions because that, that framework is there. And, and that's one of the challenges in a, uh, a micropolitan place like a Wilson that you don't see everywhere. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about you know, how do we assure that connectivity is happening kind of coast to coast and not just uh, in the urban centers, you know, on the left and right of the country? Yeah, that's a great question. Coast to coast might be a little ambitious. Let's talk regionally for a second. <laughs> sure. Wilson is a great example of how a community can take charge of their, their future in terms of their networking. They can make their own decisions about how things go. Um, you know, we want everything to be in that mix. And I think what um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it has to be one solution or another, but what I am saying is you need to bring all those solutions to the table so they can compete for the best space in that community. And that community can make a decision about what their best approach is. I think I'm reading you there. So Tom kind of threw us to some, uh, you know, what Wilson did is now something that isn't possible. So under current legislation in North Carolina, it's not possible for communities to build their own networks. Is that correct? But what we're talking about here is with that, they don't have the opportunity to compete. So maybe the argument is if communities could represent themselves and am I getting that summary right? Well, I think Scott's point is right that we need to provide broadband as a utility to everyone. And there's nothing wrong with that being provided by private industry. I believe that there's nothing wrong with that being provided by our municipal governments either. Having all options on the table, I think, will result in the best solution. Um, And and in in many states across the country, that's the case. In North Carolina, specifically, unfortunately, um, the municipals have been kind of 
steered out by some recent laws that have, have passed here in the state. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To complete a little bit of that, it's not just Wilson, right? There's this whole area has mm-hmm. uh, sort of very robust partnerships in terms of the network providers and array. So if you look at um, MCNC, which I know really provides mm-hmm. connectivity, especially with universities, right? So yeah. it doesn't matter. You have that research network experience no matter where you are in the region. Uh, NC Engine also provides a lot of connectivity. I know we've got one of the projects here is about bringing virtual reality experiences to local rural schools, right? right. Which is fantastic because in in this day and age, we shouldn't be talking about connectivity. This is a solved problem. It really makes me a little frustrated we're talking about it as everybody is that we're still talking about it. This should be an afterthought. Because Tom mentioned it's a utility. So if you think of it as a utility, we don't just mean a tool. We mean a utility isn't like gas, like electricity. So thinking about it as a utility, it is frustrating because we... Uh, we kind of take those for granted at Riot. Sometimes we talk about connectivity as the plumbing, right? It's not necessarily the thing that you're focused on, but it's the thing that you need to work and you really notice it when it's not working. Yeah. If I built a toll booth and no road, I would deserve a punch in the nose, right? And that's <laughs> that's where we are with some of these communities. You, know, you go in and you build a central core, right, for a mid-sized metropolitan area. But if you're five miles out, two miles out, you, I hope you like snail mail because that's what you're going to get and that's that's that should not be in this day and age and i mean i think people just think about it wrong they think about it as if they're doing someone a favor no Mm -hmm. you're creating businesses when you create access for people you're creating an educated workforce that has now the ability to reach nationally if not globally if they start a business you're 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 establishing an education system immediate access to anything in the world that people want to learn the university of youtube is you know a really big thing even in my life so there's no reason anyone living anywhere in this country should not be able to have a world-class experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. We do talk about that like it's nice to have. And maybe it's because for many of us, uh, an, an interruption in our internet means a slow Netflix episode, right? It means struggling to access an app on our phone and we're frustrated, but then it comes back on or we go somewhere with better internet or we change our internet provider. I don't think that many of us have that experience of slow internet. So when, yeah. what what are the effects that you see? It's not just about a slow Netflix episode. No, it isn't. I mean, schools schools are increasingly putting lesson plans online, or they're accessing encyclopedias online, or you other videos, or to, so to have the full rich experiential learning. Uh, environment that students really need to to do well, you need connectivity to these resources, whether that's VR or whatever. Um, And if we put in a different metaphor, like this is about reaching not just students, but customers. If I told you, I think I've used this metaphor before, if I told a company they couldn't reach 30% or 40% of their customer base, they would move heaven and earth to get out to them. That's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So why are we talking about this? Mm -hmm. This should be a no-brainer. And in the areas where uh, commercial play does a lot for cities and a lot of regions, and that's really satisfactory, but it's not a panacea. So there's places where we need to have a broader conversation that might be inclusive of municipal internet. It might Mm -hmm. be inclusive of co-ops. I'm a big fan of the co-op model, especially around electrical co-ops. But um, I think everything needs to be on the table and people need to get to the market here. Okay, so something you said earlier that I wrote down because I loved it is endurance for conversations. Yeah. So you've had a lot of these conversations, it yeah. sounds like, and you keep saying, you know, it makes sense to you. Why aren't we? Doing it? So why, why, why are we still talking about it based on these conversations that you've heard again and again? Um, what's standing in our way? I think it's an old business attitude of sort of inputs and outputs. Everyone wants to sort of a little be a little too hard in defining well, what's my responsibility here? And they just sort of turtle up, right, when they get overwhelmed. That that That's um, very common in, in municipalities. I mean, 
they're really doing yeoman's work at the end of municipal level. You mentioned MCNC. And the last time I heard Jean Davis speak, the CEO of MCNC, Jean Davis, she said, we've seen small towns band together on common problems. You mentioned you like the electrical co-ops. It seems like we've got a theme on collaboration and partners here. So is collaboration one of those keys to success when we have these conversations? Yeah, absolutely. And I put more of a fine point on it. There's a lot of legal agreements, IP agreements, privacy agreements around data that needs to be developed. Looking at a town like Cary, let's say, North Carolina, to do it by themselves independently with every other municipality and region, that's silly, right? You should get into a co-op, people who do that. There's also a purchasing co-op. You, you save money. That's a big hallmark of modern te- you know, aggregated technology or you know, um, so everything is a service, right? Is the more you use of it, the, the less you, it costs you in aggregate. So if you're entering in sort of purchasing co-ops for large-scale IoT uh, deployments, right? Or if you're interested in purchasing co-ops for cloud services or something like that, you can get a price break with all of you pulling your resources on this. Um, and it actually turns out legally, we're looking at it, it doesn't look like that has to be within the state itself. It looks like you can do like Eastern Seaboard or just whatever. I mean, there's some, there's some play there in terms of that's where the lack of maturity in that model might help people who are creatively thinking. This is great. So Scott has us looking into exciting possibilities here. Tom, what does that make you want to hear more about? Uh, maybe just to look to the future. What's coming down the pipe? What are you most excited about? Maybe some applications that you've seen that hopefully are going to scale or, uh, or new things U.S. Ignite's doing. What, what, what can we be looking for? Yeah, I, mean, I really think transportation is things that's going to hit the biggest in the next five years. And I, I mean, that's one of the challenges of today's world. We've always had a disruptive <laughs> world, but they've said, you know, people have said that we we have multiple disruptive things happening at once. So just a transportation grid. Walmart's made big purchases in terms of uh, self-driving trucks. So we're going to see sort of the ability to sustain inventory and deliver products on a, on a scale we haven't before. Roads are starting, the quality of roads are going to start getting bigger. So I think those are the big things on the horizon. I want to say that we're not placed in terms of policy discussion to have that land the way we want it to. And that's alarming me. I think the most extreme example is people don't realize a large amount of revenue on a, on a city basis is generated from moving violations. What is that in a world of self-driving cars? That's really interesting. It'll disrupt the insurance industry for sure. You got to think of something, you know, well, there's probably still accidents going to happen. So maybe there's something, but yeah, it'll disrupt them. It'll disrupt, it'll certainly disrupt municipal budgets where they're making that money up from because that goes to some important programs. So how to think through that, Uh, start thinking about, we're talking about uh, sort of a a divide that will happen based on the quality of your infrastructure. Cars will not, won't go into neighborhoods that don't have good wireless coverage. So Um, what do you mean there? Because you're talking about a car with personality and I've, I've heard you talk about this before. So I love your example of, if you owned a car and you had the options to lease it out. Yeah, let's a future world. You can start making decisions about what roads you can go to. They might get cataloged based on their potholes and their network coverage. And so those category five roads are the best and one of the worst. Um, you know, so let's say you own a car, right? And you, when I'm not using it, you sign up for some service to let your automated car drive out and drive other people around like Uber. And you're going to set the criteria. Well, if it's my car... Only the best roads it can drive on, only people with highest credit scores, only people with whatever, you know, whatever. And we're seeing this additional divide of who has access to this like new smart Uber. If we do it wrong. Yeah, that's right. This is dystopia. We're not going there. Right. Right. (laughs) So when we talk about these collaboratives, these are the discussions we seriously need to start having. And this is going to affect access to work access to childcare, um, safety, you know, what communities you go into. So I think transportation is probably the biggest um, and, and sort of I think drones as, as it relates to land use and land, land monitoring. 
Uh, we're about to know more than we've ever known so we can manage things a lot better. And I don't think we have the people to do it. So when mm-hmm. people look at, well, the job, where are the jobs? I can't reconcile two things that people say right now. One, on one hand, they say, all the jobs are going away. Machine robots are taking over the world. And on the other hand, everything's falling apart. No one can fix it. You can't have it both ways. And maybe a third hand that we can add to that from Riot is, I can't fill any of these positions. Yeah. I have all these jobs that I need filled and I can't find anybody. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, uh, we need to take a hold of our future. Our, our future is, it, it needs to be intentional. Our future, if it's going to succeed, needs to be intentional. And we need to people at the table talking about it and maybe hard conversations mm-hmm. to make that happen. With lots of different people at the table. Yeah. And I think that leadership I see here in the Triangle area through Riot, through um, through the other the university, local universities, through the municipalities, that's it, it warms my heart. I mean, I really feel positive about it. Um, there are times when I don't feel so positive, it makes me dejected, but don't, don't lose heart friends. This is our problem to solve. Nobody's coming to save us, but that's a positive thing. We have the ability to save ourselves. So let's do that. Absolutely. And I think we have the endurance and and certainly have enjoyed uh, talking with you about that. And I'm sure we'll have this conversation again, but uh, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. This is great. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to Riot Underground, the place where you hear from instigators who are changing the world with disruptive technology. Our next episode is a bonus episode with Scott Turnbull. Scott speaks with a few college interns, and we end up discussing something kind of crazy that happened in 1988. It's an episode about how to build a community, and in many ways, it's a discussion about the impact of diversity. It's a lot that you don't want to miss. Riot Underground is created and produced at Riot Studios, with music created by Scott Jackson. Riot produces events, conferences, and educational courses around the world and runs an early-stage startup accelerator in Raleigh, North Carolina. Our nonprofit also operates a wireless test and certification facility under the Wireless Research Center brand. Learn how to engage by visiting us at ncriot.org.